City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar Hello, I'm Sandra Gilman, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. And I'm Doug Leeds, President. We have a very exciting seminar today, delving in-depth into how theatre gets made. Both the Annenberg Foundation and Dorothy Strelson Foundation have played a major part in expanding these programs, and we want to thank them. People often come up to me and say, we know the American Theatre Wing founded the Tonys, to recognize excellence in the theater. But what else do you do? Well, a lot. An awful lot. These seminars are just one of the many educational programs we sponsor. We also produce Downstage Center, a weekly theater interview show on XM Satellite Radio, Springboard NYC, a summer session for college students interested in theater as a career. We host the theater intern group, and give annual scholarships to students and grants to New York not-for-profit theater, both off and off-off Broadway. So yes, we do a lot more than just recognize excellence on Broadway with the Tony Awards, which the Wing founded almost 60 years ago. We serve the entire theater community by educating, nurturing, rewarding, and encouraging participation in the art of live theater. Be sure to go to our website www.americantheaterwing.org. You'll find a great deal of information on theater, all of our educational programs, and of course, these seminars. Thanks for joining us. And now, let us begin today's seminar, Exploring Summer Theater, led by the American Theater Wing's Executive Director, Howard Sherman. Welcome, everyone. For those of you whose concept of summer theater was formed by babes in arms, I think over the course of today's program, we're going to take the opportunity to debunk that concept. For those of you like myself who began their career in the days when summer stock meant 11 shows in 11 weeks at the same theater, I think we're also going to give some lie to, to that expectation. We have a panel today representing some of the very finest summer theaters from the northeast, northeast area of North America, we should say, not just America. And so I'd like to begin by introducing them. Starting on my right, Allison Harris, the executive director of the Westport Country Playhouse in Westport, Connecticut. Max Mayer, a founder and the producing, a producing director of New York Stage and Film, located at Vassar College in New York State. Sybil Christopher, also a founder and producing director of the Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor, New York. Jackie Maxwell, the artistic director of the Shaw Festival in Niagara-on-the-Lake, Canada. And finally, Kate McGuire, the executive director of the Berkshire Theatre Festival in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Collectively, these five theaters represent literally hundreds of years of theatrical experience. The new kid on the block 
is Bay Street, which Sybil uh, began with two partners in 1991. The, the most senior partners are really Westport with, I believe, 75 years and Berkshire Theatre Festival right in that same range with 77 years. I set up at the very beginning simply the idea of what, when people hear summer theatre, they start to think about words like the straw hat circuit or Mickey and Judy putting on a show in a barn. And in fact, one of the theatres here for many years produced in a barn. But <laughs> I would like to start simply by asking about what you think people's expectations of summer theater is. And just before I say that, by pointing out that some of these companies have been so successful over time that their seasons have expanded beyond strictly the idea of Memorial <laughs> Day to Labor Day to use the American holidays. <laughs> um, so let me ask first, Allison, Westport underwent a change in artistic leadership five years ago, and in fact was the theater where I once upon a time did 11 shows in 11 weeks, <laughs> such, such remarkable productions as Run for Your Wife and Don't Dress for Dinner. <laughs> in, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I believe it. In <clears throat> changing that, you came in along with Joanne Woodward, the new artistic director at that time, who's going to be completing her tenure this year. What was the experience of changing the audience expectation about what summer theater could be? Well, I think that there had already been a shift since that time of the one-week stock. Um, before Joanne even came in, we'd moved at least to two-week stock. But the, the shows were, we still shared productions from time to time with other theaters, which was one of the things that occurred when they were, were doing that kind of stock. The, the theaters were... The, the, the plays were mounted and then they traveled among, between a several theaters to share the cost of this. So what happened is really each summer theater, at least in the case of Westport Country Playhouse, became a whole unto itself and it mounted productions that were specific to its audience. I think the other thing that for us changed thing dramatically was we were no longer just a summer destination, a tourist destination. Um, with the changing demographics of the greater New York area, we really now are, a, in some ways, a bedroom community for New York. So we have a permanent year-round audience <clears throat> that attends the, the theater. It doesn't mean that they didn't have certain expectations for summer. Somehow, when you weren't wearing a winter coat, you expect lighter fare at the theater than when you are wearing a winter coat. It, <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily hold true, but there was that shift um, from the kinds of shows that you're talking about, which often were uh, designed as, as vehicles for celebrities. I think one of the things that we do, and I expect the same is true of my colleagues here, is that we're much more inclined to look at the play first and go back to the playwright and pick the right play and then cast it appropriately as opposed to find a headliner and then find a vehicle that serves that headliner. And, and the, our audiences have grown with us. They've really stretched and, and changed over the years, I think. And I would suspect, I know because I, we've worked with the Berkshire Theatre Festival recently in a co-production that Kate might say the same um, in terms of her seasons as well. Well, since you've referenced Kate, Kate, your theatre has had a continuum of, of artistic leadership over mm -hmm. time. And every eight to ten years, it seems, over the history, there's been a change. When you came in 
first as managing director and now as executive director. Was there a conscious effort to change the work that had come before? There was at the time. I remember talking to one board member who specifically said to me, could we get rid of the elevator music on the main stage? And that sort of symbolized mm -hmm. what was going on on the main stage, I think. And I remember beginning to change the work so that it was, you know, what we call more challenging, more provocative. And, and I met a lot of resistance from our traditional audience. And I remember going into the archives of the theater, and of course it's 77 years of theater history, so it, they're remarkable archives. And I was reading about the first season and finally discovered what the inspiration was for the Berkshire Theatre Festival, and I'm sure for many of the other summer theatres. I found this piece, um, and it was part of a biography of Eva Legallion, who was then, of course, running the Civic Repertory Company here in New York. And what she was imagining were theaters across the country. And she kept going to Eleanor Roosevelt to try to get some support to establish theaters around the country. And she began sending out members of her troops, of her troop, to create theaters. And so she sent Alexander Kirkland to Stockbridge. He became the first artistic director. And I sighed this huge sigh of relief because I thought, oh, it was founded on the inspiration of one of the greats. Mm -hmm. The intention really <clears throat> never was to just be sort of a dog and pony show. It, you know, it was really founded on a great principle to get theater out into the communities and to get theater out into great artistic communities, which is, of course, where we also all are. I mean, the Berkshires is a haven for artists. So I went back to that original inspiration and, and and really let the audience in on that little secret. And that began to change and to help to educate all of us on what we were there for. Hmm. I found that remarkable, though. Now, as we talk about what the theater can be and the artistic range, Jackie, the, the Shaw Festival a few years ago opened the parameters a little bit, as I understand it, hmm. in that, as I understand it, the, the original mandate of the theater was to do works written within Shaw's lifetime. Right. <clears throat> and then a few years back that changed. Can you talk about that? Sure. It was kind of, uh, it went along with my predecessor at the Shaw Festival was uh, a man called Christopher Newton who was, who was there in the end for 23 years. Um, and indeed the mandate as, as it was then was the place of Shaw and his contemporaries, thank goodness, of course, Shaw lived as long as he did, mm -hmm. uh, which was almost a hundred years. So within that, um, there w still was a great deal of air and potential in the programming, but he felt as he was leaving that in order to encourage, I think, um, younger people to uh, perhaps start coming to the theater, and frankly, um, to, to interest people in running the place, that he wanted to open it to include contemporary work about the time. Um, and that certainly, for me, actually, was what was one of the things. I love the work of the mandate. I can get in there and do Ibsen and Chekhov and Shaw. But the idea of, of juxtaposing the programming and being able to put a play of the time alongside a contemporary play <coughs> written about the time. So it means, you know, you can bring in a Tom Stoppard, you can bring, you know, Brian Friel, any, you know, many, many writers, of course, um, and start to really look at what that means, both content-wise and form-wise. And, and so, yes, we have uh, a, a now 
what I'm doing is kind of laying that into the, into the programming now and being, sort of opening it up. Any response from the audience <coughs> on that that you heard? Mostly, I must <coughs> admit, there was, I, I put out some very quite, quite strong signals. Um, I, I put out some fairly provocative pieces of theater, um, even within our musicals, for example, uh, Adam Gettle's Floyd Collins we did last year as, a, as sort of stretching that musical theater envelope, obviously. Um, and uh, for the most part, it actually, people have been very receptive. We've got a pretty smart audience. Um, they're, they're pretty used to pieces that, I mean, if your sort of guiding spirit is Shaw, then people are used to people kind of, you know, getting up there and uh, <coughs> really um, going for it in the kind of intel rigorously intellectual way. But um, mostly, I mean, a few people that we have a few language issues, we have a few, you know, I don't think I could do Carol Churchill's Cloud Nine yet, for example. <laughs> um, but maybe in a few years. Um, but uh, no, mostly people seem to be appreciating um, the, the new work, a newer work, as well as the older stuff. Now to turn to the founders of theaters. What were your goals, because you, did, you had blank slates in founding companies, what were you trying to do with these companies and what kind of need did you see that you were filling? Sybil, can you talk to uh, us first? <coughs> Originally, we only did new plays, and we continued that for about five years. Um, and we realized that the audience weren't all that keen. So what we did was we put a questionnaire in the lobby for um, in the August part of the year. And we, it was interesting. They wanted new theater, but they also wanted the classics. They obviously wanted musicals, and they wanted, uh, they wanted all sorts of things. So we sort of rethought our uh, programming. And, uh, and it actually became quite clear what we had to do. So that we knew, for instance, a new play had to be in the first or second slot. Uh, and because we were in, of all places, the Hamptons, um, we had to realize that for July and August, we really had to have treats, because we were competing with the beach. And um, <laughs> so that's what we did. We just did No Coward in July and musicals. But that we did the big stuff in the classics and the new plays at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And Max, clearly a different goal for New York Stage and Film from its inception. Yeah, well, <coughs> we st for better or worse, we still do only new plays. <laughs> and um, that came essentially out of uh, my partner, Leslie Erdang, and uh, Mark Wynn Baker and I. We were uh, basically producing, we're producing plays um, in the city. We are producing new plays in the city and um, became frustrated with the sort of standard development of, or non-development of producing a new play in the city, especially off-off-Broadway or whatever, and, and uh, doing, you know, doing three weeks of rehearsal and then putting up a play and then letting whoever, Mr. Eater, Mr. Rich, Mr. Brantley, whoever, tell us what, what they thought of the play, and that was it. Um, whether or not we felt it was ready or whatever. Um, so I had been sort of steeped from my childhood in uh, the lore of the group theater. Yeah. And, um, and so Leslie and I got in a car. We'd, we'd sort of drew a hundred-mile radius around New York City. And we got in a car, and we went looking for a farm, basically. Uh, and this was like in 1984 or something like that. And uh, 
1984, which is what the group theater did, they performed, you know, they went up for their summers and they developed their productions and brought them back into the city in the fall and all that. So that's what our plan was. Um, the difference between 1930-something and 1984 was that farms were much more expensive <laughs> uh, in 1984. So somebody suggested that we look at colleges. And at that time, uh, colleges were, had, you know, everybody aspires essentially to get, when you work in the theater, you aspire to get back, you know, 20 years to the facilities that you had when you were in college. Um, so there were all these colleges that at the time didn't have summer programs and had these theaters and these incredible facilities that they didn't do anything with during the summer. So Leslie and I went around and we pitched a professional company to a bunch of different colleges. And uh, actually a few of them were interested, but Vassar was actually uh, interested in a way that was monetarily interesting as well. <laughs> and um, so we wound up for the first few years there, running, running, a, doing the theater, doing our own, you know, working on our own productions and putting them up and being able to rehearse for five, six, seven weeks or whatever and develop new plays. And uh, at the same time, we were, our company was running a training program for Vassar. Um, so, uh, so it's sort of, they were interested in the training program, we were interested in, so there was a good fit. Um, and uh, it's, it's just expanded and grown and grown, which has been great. And so it, to a certain extent, we've never, um, we've been really selfish about what we do. And our, we've been incredibly lucky because our audience has come with us. The, the, first, the first season that we were up there, we did uh, Savage in Limbo, we did the first production of Savage in Limbo by John Patrick Shanley and... Uh, and uh, Filthy Rich, played by George F. Walker, who you probably know. Um, and uh, some of the Vassar faculty, especially with, well, actually the first, the first night we were there, when the faculty was there to welcome us, and, and one of them came up to John Shanley and said, is there foul language in your play? <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, and so the, the this member of the drama department said, well, I'll hate it. And <laughs> he said, so, okay, so maybe this, maybe this isn't going to work. But in fact, the audiences really loved it. And uh, so we haven't worried again about that. Well, that raises an issue when we talk about expectations, and it's already been touched on. Again, going back to the classic model of summer theater, the idea was that it was sort of a tourist thing. Summer theater would be in places where people were drawn to. But as all of your theaters have become institutions, some with literally decades and decades of experience, who are you producing for? Are you producing for the people in your community? Or are you producing for the tourists? Or I'll start with Sybil. Yeah. Are you producing for the summer people out in the Hamptons? No, not necessarily, I don't think so. It's a strange audience, the Hamptons, because they're the summer people, the weekenders, so to speak, they're very much inclined in New York only to go to see hits. They don't support our Broadway. Um, but the, the locals, the, the, when I say locals, I don't just mean the people who've lived there for many, many years. I mean, there are many people now who spend most of their time out there. 
they go into the city on a Tuesday, they come back on <coughs> Thursday night, you know. Um, they're just interested, they're very supportive. We have a very strong backing now, especially s since we've changed our programming, you know. It's, it's much easier for us now. But, um, and they're very, very responsive. We get lots of letters, lots of um, emails. Um, but it's, uh, it, it took a while. It really did. And people who were in the business all thought we were making a mistake. They said, but we come out here to rest. Why would we want to go to the theater, they said. <laughs> you know, and, um, <laughs> and uh, we said, but, you know, imagine coming out here for the, you know, for the weekend or whatever and not going back on a Monday, being able to stay for three weeks to rehearse and do the play. Wouldn't that be a treat, you know? And that's what's happened. So now, lots of people who have houses out there, they love, they love to work at Bay Street. Well, I'll turn to Jackie because, as I understand it, the Shaw Festival is one of the major tourist attractions in the country of Canada. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I've started to realize, of course, it, you know, tourism, that by some is looked on as a dirty word. Um, and it's interesting because there's so many different levels of tourism, and that's what I've started to realize. I mean... Uh, we're known as a destination theater, all these new words that one learns, but in, in other words, um, often people will come, because Niagara-on-the-Lake is beautiful, and it's in wine country, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's a gorgeous area to spend time in. So people will come, and they can, you know, it's a repertory theater, you can come and spend three days and see four or five shows quite easily, and drink lovely wine, and eat good food, you know, and all of that. Um, but it's interesting because, of course, there's a whole other level of tourism where we are. I mean, there are buses, huge buses that will drive from Niagara Falls, which is 15 minutes from where we are, come down the Niagara Parkway, stop in Niagara-in-the-Lake. People will get out and they'll go up and down the street, they'll shop and they'll get back in the buses and they'll leave. And they have no interest in going to the Shaw Festival whatsoever. Mm. It's a whole other, and people have said, you know, well, why aren't you trying to get these people? And, I, and we keep saying, well, I don't know. It doesn't seem, I don't know what the shift in our programming would be to do that. And it does, so on the, so we have a whole, this sort of, a sort of, it seems, another level of tourism, which I suppose is a kind of cultural tourism. And indeed, where people really do seem to travel to come to see plays. They actually come, and they, you know, 44% of our audience is American. And uh, we have an enormous amount of people, especially in New York State, but way beyond that, too, that do make it. So in other words, it's, uh, it, is, um, it is an enormous tourist area, but it, it sort of seems to sit on different levels. And we certainly find that um, people are coming to the theater, which, which I like that idea that it's not net now I certainly hope that if somebody was casually walking along the street and decided <coughs> to go to the theater that that too of course but we don't get a huge amount of just on the day walk up it is normally people who have made the decision to come that's interesting it's the opposite with us yeah we get a lot last minute just yeah yes yes interesting yeah mm -hmm. the difficulty though really is um, serving that I mean for us, because we're 77 years old and because there have been so many artistic directors and with, with each new artistic regime, the culture of the theater has changed. So 11 years ago when I came in, there were 50 board members that had come on at 
all different during all different wow. decades. Wow. <laughs> and each one of them represented a different artistic regime. <laughs> and I thought, I, but then I realized, oh, this is our audience too. So how, you know, I kept grabbing onto that word festival, like we're a festival, we can do I do, I do an American Buffalo right next to each other. I mean, you know, you're then operating for a really broad culture. And I guess I just keep taking to heart the fact that we're a not-for-profit, so we are there for the public good and for educational purposes. So we should be serving a wide variety, but it makes it difficult and it makes it particularly difficult when you're trying to do that play with language and the person is standing there in front of your stage saying, this stage is sacred, yeah. you can't do that here. <laughs> it's like, but you know, Mr. Smith would really like to mm. see that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's fascinating, the education of the audience, I think. Does your board have a lot of power in, in that sense? Like, they d is it they did. That? <laughs> <laughs> did you manage to winnow it down? They did, but there's only 20 now. <laughs> I, I, I thought you were. I got a sense you there's, would have done they, that. They had, you know, there was a need to really go through a revitalization. And a, uh, revitalization means firing 30 board members. How do you do that? <laughs> it's a lovely term <laughs> for it, though, isn't it? <laughs> Notice that I said that there were 50 members and they all represented different generations. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. So there were a lot that simply <laughs> dropped off. So yes. Again, <laughs> the nice word is attrition. Attrition. Um, but, that, that but you go on the issue higher. of the eight. I mean, when you talk about that mirroring our audience, I think yeah. that's something that at least most of us, or at least our theaters, have problems with in, in my area, which is that our audience is aging. Mm -hmm. And the question is, um, how do we replace those aging audience members uh, with the next generation and their children? And it's tough. There's so much competition now from everything. It's not just movies, but Game Boys and sports. And we are a, a suburban community in part, and there's, there's an awful lot of competition for the theater. And we're dealing with younger people who haven't grown up in the tradition of theater somehow. Um, wasn't part of their parents' culture. So we're dealing with their grandparents now. And I think that it's... Um, that, that's one of our big, biggest challenges that we're facing, and, and addressing it through programming, through marketing, through ancillary activities, and because um, we have recently renovated the, the Westport Country Playhouse, so in fact we have lobbies and spaces we can do programming, and we're very excited working with a new audiences committee of our board, actually, um, but working with our, that group to identify potential new audiences to replace our loyal audiences who simply can't, won't be with us in, in the next decade. Yeah. It is interesting, actually, because when we did the Janis Joplin piece, of course, the audience was unbelievably young, and they came from mm -hmm. all over the place, yeah. you know. Um, but then you do, and we handed earplugs to the old people as they went <laughs> in. <laughs> and they were good. They used them. And but the people it. you call <laughs> the old people yeah. were probably the people who were My listening it. to Janis <laughs> Joplin when well, she was... That's, 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 that's very yes, true. I know. So there's a perceptual yeah. issue No, there. it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. But it is interesting that, there were, that it was noticeable how young the audience was, you know. Hmm. That's thrilling. That's yeah, really exciting. I know. I know. For us... Oh, good. No, go ahead. No. Um, for us, the... the it's a different issue in a way, and we've tried to make it into a virtue because our constituency, who, you, you know, you were asking who, who are we producing for, and we're actually, our constituency is the writers, for our, in our case. Mm -hmm. um, we are, we're doing first productions or first readings or first re write, um, workshops 
of, uh, of new writers. So basically, we've had, we've had to bring an audience along and say, essentially, this is your first, this, this is your opportunity to take a first look at whoever is going to be the next John Patrick Shanley or the next, you know, or, I mean, we still work with John, but, or, you know, uh, the next Richard Nelson, who we worked with, or whoever. But, um, which people see, you know, I, I think that, I think that we work generally in smaller theaters than most of you do too, mm -hmm. which is obviously a, an advantage in the sense that we don't have to reach quite as many people. But um, I think that people have been excited to be involved in the process of creating new work and developing new work. And, you know, they let us hear very much. They don't expect us to do classics or whatever, but they let us hear very much about what, what they liked and what they didn't like and all of that. So, and we work on maybe 16 to 18 new plays during the course of the summer um, in various stages, so. As you mentioned names like Shanley or Richard Nelson, uh, and we talked about the old star circuit of, of summer stock, how much does bringing in celebrities or <coughs> names figure in what you do? Because certainly there are some summer theaters that really seem to bring in major people and have the opportunity to do it because, of course, the production calendar is so much shorter. Does that uh, play in? Is that important? And indeed, at Westport, you've had a celebrity artistic director. Williamstown has just brought in Roger Rees, who is certainly a, a well-known figure. Is that a factor in, in the work you all do? I would say it's a factor in attendance, whether it's a factor in artistic yes. director selection. Yes. Excuse me? Huge. Yeah. Huge. Huge. When we do a production with Paul Newman in, in playing a role, or Richard Dreyfuss, it sells very well. <coughs> Excuse me, it sells very well. But the other, for us, um, you know, we did a play by Timothy Finley, the Canadian playwright, a play called Stillborn Lover. Mm -hmm. And American audiences were not familiar with Timothy Finley. They certainly didn't know the title of that play. And it was a risk for us to put that on our main stage. We had Richard Chamberlain playing the role, a role in it, and it turned the tide completely because there was male nudity also in this play. So for us to put that play on our main stage was a bit of a risk, and as soon as Richard Chamberlain was put into that role, it was fine. Mm -hmm. It was all fine. Mm -hmm. And it was packed, and mm -hmm. no one you know, yeah. even remembered it was a new play, mm -hmm. or it was a risk. Mm -hmm. And of course, Jackie, so this isn't helps. an issue for you at all because you're on a company system. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting because um, we we don't that has never been an issue, and I'm I'm glad that it our company we have a an ensemble, and this for example this year it's um, well the company there's 72 actors in the company, wow. so it's it's large, um, and there's a core group of people who have been with the company for a very, it's not, I mean, it's not like Germany, unfortunately. People don't get paid all year round. I mean, there's contracted like everybody else, but they're nice long contracts for sure. Um, and they are people who come back year after year. Um, and then it's sort of my job as well to make sure that, to, to keep, you know, bringing young actors in and sort of, you know, moving things around a little bit. But the thing actually that does happen with our audience is in fact our audience um, our, our sort of loyal audience that keeps coming back, 
that we have our own sort of stars within that yes. group that people yes. will come and see. I want to see Jimmy Mizon do Undershaft this year because <laughs> blah, 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 right? And, um, and that I find very gratifying. I, I think, too, because it's a rep system, people also enjoy being able to see somebody literally play a lead in Merrily We Roll Along and then also play one of the daughters in Lorca's Blood Wedding that mm -hmm. evening, you know, and that kind of... So, so it's, it is a different attraction, I think acting wise I mean not that every that's now and fantastic. again you know. that's yeah it is so I, th I think that is I, I, I've, that I feel is is something that I would I hold I treasure and hold on to yeah. so I worked at arena stage when I, were, I was <coughs> directing at arena stage when the same thing was true and and, and it's just not true in American very I don't know there's any no way American to support theaters. it yeah. here it's one of the big frustrations yeah. mm -hmm. um, when I was when I was little I I, when I left Wales and moved to a, the Midlands, a town called Northampton, it had um, a weekly rep. Mm -hmm. And um, my big sister, who was looking after me, she and her husband went to the theatre every Friday night and sat in the same seats with the same people on the left and right. And, <laughs> and she added me to that, uh, those two seats. And uh, at the age of 17, I saw 52 plays. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and I was there from 17, 18, and 19 when I left and went to London. But it was unbelievable. So all the plays, like Constant Wife, and I know those plays from being when I was yeah. little, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, and that, that, what you're saying, Jackie, the, the actors in that, uh, that theatre were stars, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They were, we just longed to see them playing a different role each week. Yeah. We didn't need anything else, you know? The interesting thing was that... Um, um, w was that a few years earlier, the juvenile lead of the Northampton Rep, and they still talked about him, was Errol Flynn. And oh. he was, a, he, he was still, they were still talking about his yeah. efforts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he was a repertory theatre actor in Northampton, I know. But the celebrity thing is really, it's a difficult issue. For, I mean, because uh, actually, from, from our, uh, I did it. I was the one who did it. it <laughs> They told us backstage, don't do that. <laughs> and, and, but, but he also said that somebody would. And would yeah. Thank God you did it. Thank God you did it. We can all relax now. But uh, um, this, uh, when new plays, or new work especially, attracts um, actors in general. I mean that you know, people like to establish parts and they like and 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 support new writers and all that stuff. So we've learned that to just ask people, you know, to you know, to do that. But but because it obviously does help attendance and all that. But then there's the balance of of doing it appropriately and doing it where mm -hmm. you think that this person is actually going to be great for this part. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, and so you know that that's always that's always a balancing act. And I wish it weren't, in a way, but that's the facts of, of theater life these days, I think. Could, I was just curious, if, if, I mean, when you mentioned about uh, the whole sort of area of, of financial support and so on, and you're a not-for-profit, do you, um, you still, I'm sure, are very reliant on your box office, whatever the support We're about 50-50. Yeah. Right. Oh, this is what we are now. Because yours, yeah. I believe, is, is, is considerably higher than that, in the, in the high 70s in terms yeah, of earnings. Yeah, yeah, so we have to earn about 74, so you, 75 percent. So you've really got to make sure you're yeah. getting yeah. 
butts and seats, as they yes, say. Yes, yes, which butts is, you know, the, the, the real balance, for sure, for sure. Now, we have three theaters, so, and two of them are quite small, so certainly if, if things start going awry, as long as I can maintain, um, I can maintain popular fare and get them into the big theater, then I can still really afford to play and be, be more, take more risks in the smaller theaters. But um, it is an endless, as I'm sure, you know, an endless well, shell and game. And that the, it's 50-50, um, but it's, you know, w the ticket prices are high. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're charging 40 to $60, and I think, mm -hmm. well, how are we going to get those kids in there? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think it's a big yeah. issue. It's Accessibility is a huge issue for younger people. Yeah, so you go for the funding to pay for the tickets, and it's, all, <laughs> you know, it's a cat and mouse game. Mm -hmm. we, do a, we do a thing at Bay Street. Uh, the first Tuesday, the first performance, the first preview, we do a pay what you can. And it's actually worked very well for us. That's good. In as much as that um, it's a young audience, of course, mm -hmm. and it gives the actor a, a full house to work in. So yeah. that's a nice thing. And, it's, and actually, um, one man went up to the box office and said, what does this mean, pay what you can? And <laughs> he said, you can come in for a dollar. And he, he was so happy that he gave us $100. <laughs> so, uh, yes, so it was nice. I guess my, he could. Yeah, my, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I know. My husband and I <laughs> founded a theater company once. It was all pay what you can. Yeah. Oh. And it actually was going really well. Like, someone came along and gave us a check for 20000 We yeah. thought, oh, we could keep this up. But then there was this long long period of like <laughs> dollars. <laughs> it certainly makes income and projections <laughs> difficult. Exactly. And, and that that was that. You know, what we're talking about here, I, I come out of doing a lot of regional theater work, and as we talk about, you mentioned growing up and being in the same seat 52 nights, and Max, you mentioned working at Arena Stage. Are your challenges the same as what we think of as the year-round institutional theaters? Uh, are you trying to sell subscriptions? Is that where you're focusing? Or because of the nature of where you're located and, and the, to some degree, transient audience that some of you have, is it a different mindset? I think uh, it's the same. Yeah, I think we, we certainly are very dependent on our subscribers still. And, and we, when we were doing one-week stock, we probably had subscribers. We certainly had it when we were doing two-week. Um, and our, our challenge has been, as Joanne Woodward has changed the whole schedule as well as the thrust of the programming, we've moved the days around. And I can't tell you how un, un, unhappy they are to be moved out of their Monday night opening to the Friday night opening to, oh my God, it's now Saturday. So um, it's, it's tough because these are people, many of whom have been with us for 20 years, 30 years. Um, they, some of them inherited tickets from their parents and swear that the lineage goes back to 1931. Um, and, and so it is, it is a struggle because these are the people who, they do tend to be the older audience members. They have a fixed idea of what their theater is and should be. And to move them slowly and gently into a different kind of programming, it's been, it's been fairly successful, but it has meant that we've shed some audience members who just haven't cared for it, and we're trying very hard to bring in new ones. Um, but we are also experimenting with different ways of selling tickets, because much as we reassure our subscribers that they ha can exchange their tickets, they're not locked into performances, we'll make it easy for them to bring friends. There's an awful, there's a, there's a mindset now, I think, where people want to be able to decide at the drop of a hat yeah. what they're going to do. They're used to deciding on Saturday afternoon they're going to go to the movies that night. 
the whole concept of, you know, in, in October planning, buying a subscription for the following summer just is really a challenge for an awful lot of people these days. I think it is. The, one of the differences, it seems to me, I mean, I, I ran a, a theater in Toronto for 12 years, um, which was in fact a, a theater dedicated to doing new work. Um, and uh, what I notice, I mean, Shaw is a very different ball of wax, but what I do notice is that if you are trying to sort of shift the programming, if you're trying to get a little more edge to it, anything like that, I think that's where the, the, the summer part of it is something that you have to deal with in terms of expectation. Now, as I've mentioned, the, the Shaw, we, we have a lot of variety and people are very used to sitting down and watching Chekhov and Nibs. So it's not, I'm not fighting, it isn't run for your wife, for sure. But I do find, uh, I'm very eager, for example, that th there's a kind of bucolic mindset, nevertheless. Um, and I know, for example, that um, for many years, the Shaw, it, it was encouraged to be thought of as kind of a, a secret. And if you just happened to be going along the right highway and kind of poked <laughs> in through a hedgerow, you would find it. Now, luckily, many, many people poked their heads in through the hedgerow and found it. But my feeling is at the moment, and I think it's partly to do with the whole climate of having to push theater a little more, um, but also because of maybe the way I want to push the programming, that I, we, I, we have to be a little more crap. We can't be quite so bucolic. Um, I think that one, uh, I feel that we have to uh, encourage people that the act of coming to the theater, even if it's hot outside, even as water, still can be um, an energizing, provocative, and scary and interesting thing to do. And you just come out more like a mole at the end, and you know, the sun is still shining, and you have actually had, uh, as I say, a provocative and a more challenging experience. And I do think that when you're pushing in a new direction, that might be a little more difficult in the summer because of, and, and not that, we, we do coward as well, we do music, I mean, you know, we have a variety, but I would like to think, and I, I feel that's why, for example, I want us to, um, we're, we're trying to take a show um, into Toronto in the winter just to let people kind of know what we're doing. We're actually talking to, um, we've been talking to the Guthrie, um, various places about even maybe bringing our work down in the winter. Mm -hmm. Just, I think, again, to get, get a wait, not that you want people to have a lovely time in the summer, you want them to be able to have a picnic and come and see a show, but you also, I think, have to be aware that it, you just don't kind of get mm -hmm. too lulled mm -hmm. at that point with your programming. Does that make sense? Does that, you, that Absolutely. You that yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How many stages are there with you? Three, is Three. It? Lovely. And yeah. Okay. yeah. Two. Two, yes. Right. But you're the same. One. You seem to be able to yeah, balance one, your programming two. there, don't you? We have three you? also. You're three, yes. Yeah. 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 I'd love to have a second stage, because then we would only do a new place in the second stage. We did we a, uh, actually, Vassar built a new drama department and new theater, which is a fantastic thing for us because we have <coughs> access to it, but it, be, it, it changes the nature of it. And you, you mentioned Williamstown a bit. It, we've always run our, our subscription and our, our ticket sales have been lower percentage of our, of our uh, expenses than, you know, a, more, more like a third or whatever. And we've always had a small subscription audience. And so we now, and the other two theaters are about 150 seats each or whatever, and this, this one is 350 seats. So it, it changes the nature of, and so we're confronted now with, okay, so we have this great space, now what do we do, and are we, are we going to be able to attract people? So far what we've been doing in terms of continuing our mandate 
in this new Martell space, which is beautiful, is, is doing workshops of new musicals. And um, m musicals sell. And uh, so this, this summer we're doing a, a, a musical adaptation of a, of a film called Dangerous Beauty, it's a, it's, which is a, it's gorgeous. And, um, and then something else by the people who wrote Urine Town. Mm -hmm. So they're using, we're, we're trying to extend the mandate into these workshops. And we also keep our ticket price, our top ticket price for main stages are $25. Wow. And um, so, and then for workshops, we charge, you know, 18 or whatever. And uh, which may go up, I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> Watching this three years from now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably won't be true anymore. Yeah. Well, Sybil, you mentioned competing with the beach, and I specifically want to ask Kate, you're located in uh, an area in Massachusetts where during the summer there really are a lot of major arts organizations that are only there for that time of year competing. We've mentioned the Williamstown Theatre Festival several times. You have the relatively new Barrington Stage Company that's there. You've got Tanglewood, you've Jacob's got Jacob's Pillow, Pillow you've yeah. got Shakespeare and Company. Mm -hmm. Are you actually competing for audience in your area during um, the summer? I, I had written this article for the local newspaper and my daughter called me one day and said, you're a quote on the radio because the, the title was Culture is a Destination and somebody was quoting me and, and <laughs> she's like, you're a quote now, Mom. But the truth is that it's the reason people come to the Berkshires is to go to all yes. the events. And when I've worked in sort of one-horse towns where there's only, you know, one symphony or one theater, the culture there is more difficult than the environment that I'm in because people are not used to going yeah. and you have to convince them to get to the theater or to get to the symphony. So I actually feel quite blessed. I'm sure though there's a limit that the community will reach. I mean there are now two new theaters, three new theaters being built in the area. One in Great Barrington, the Mahawi, one in Pittsfield, the Colonial, one in North Adams. So one wonders how much more the community can hold. Um, but for the time being, you know, culture is, the whole of it is proving to be the destination. Because there's also what's happened, certainly with the Shaw Festival, I know, where these successful summer operations become so successful that the season spreads. Mm -hmm. um, Goodspeed musicals originally known as the Goodspeed Opera House, used to run three shows, June, July, August. Goodspeed now runs from April to late November, sometimes into December, simply because the audience demand has become so great. And so the model of the theater changes. With your new construction at Westport, there is talk that you want to be producing a little more year-round. And Sybil, I see that while your main theater season is in the summer, Bay Street Theater is operating in the off-season. Yes, season. we do Christmas, and we all, sometimes we actually go into September, depending. What do we do? Well, we certainly, um, that, that was part of our mandate. We, we were the theater that was in an old barn. The barn, the core of the building is an 1835 barn. It was converted to a theater in 1931 by the Langner, Lawrence Langner and his wife, Armina Marshall from the Theatre Guild, and it's been sort of barn-like ever since, and it was finally in collapse. We had to do a major renovation, and we did an expansion as well um, to modernize it functionally, but to keep the spirit of the barn. 
Um, but part of it was it's now fully air-conditioned and sort of, sort of haphazardly air-conditioned and well-heated, and it will be a very it was comfortable... Not at all. Not at all heated before. We used to, in fact, do a community production of Nutcracker, and we took one week to heat up the barn so that the dancers <laughs> could come on stage <laughs> and about two entire tanks of oil. It was really <laughs> terrible. In any case, um, in fact, the joke with the old barn, the old playhouse used to be that you could be on stage watching the sunset through the cracks in the building. <laughs> um, so we have this new space, but part of the reason that we were received a generous grant from our home state, Connecticut, for instance, was because it would become a year-round arts facility. And one of the things we're excited about is figuring out what the programming is going to be that will complement the other excellent programming in the state that is during the academic year, if you will, Long Wharf and Yale Rep and Hartford Stage and some other fine theaters. Um, and also to expand the type of programming. While the theater renovation is primarily for the spoken word, and it's a good theater for plays, we do want to experiment with other art forms, and we are going to be bringing in some concerts and small dance companies and other projects like that in this, what we now call the off-season, which, of course, is nine months a year, so we've got to think of a better name than off. But um, nevertheless, uh, for us, it is an off-season, and it's going to be very interesting to see how we we do that. <coughs> we will be producing plays also. We are at least planning to do in the first year after the renovation about three plays. I find we get different types of audiences because of the length. Um, it's interesting. We have, we go now, really, we start previewing in April, and we go right through till the end of October. So it's long, um, and, uh, but I find that uh, there are actually are many people who really love coming in the fall when it really is a whole other, you know, it's not as crazy uh, tourist-wise on the main streets. It, it's a much kind of calmer. And in fact, we actually, can, we play our scheduling a little bit because we, the, the, we, we feel that there, there are shows that will just sit better in the, the shoulder, as we call it, that shoulder season, um, that, uh, that we can really encourage people to come to. So I think that is, I mean, we have to be careful. I think sometimes you, you know, you just, you just get bigger and bigger and bigger, mm -hmm. and then you suddenly go, whoa, hold yeah. on, you know. But um, I certainly think that it is interesting that I do notice that the demographic, if you like, of the audience, our audience shifts at certain points from that big main summer to the to the fall. Well, that's like Sybil saying she has special programming in July and August. Yeah. Yes. That's right. You said, of course. <laughs> it's, a, it's a reality, yeah. Uh, we program all. We have Kid Street, which is all year round. And, of course, like we all have education. So mm -hmm. and that's a big part. Are you there all year round? Yes. Oh, how nice. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> and, but you're in the city. Yes. Actually, yeah, actually, I, actually, I live in California at the moment. Oh because ah. which is and a there's nice a commute. Thing. That's a bit of a. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a it's the, it's, the, uh, it's the great thing about having partners and working in a right. theater <laughs> and having founded a theater because there are now four of us actually who are producing directors. Um, Leslie and I were the originals, Mark Lynn Baker and Joanna Felzer, who ran our, who was our producing part, who was our managing producer, I guess, for a while. And then we kicked her upstairs. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. so, there are f so there are four of us, and then Elizabeth Timperman, who now is the managing producer. Yeah. And so she runs the place on a day-to-day -day sort of office basis in New York. And I just get tons of FedExes of scripts and 
this and that. Right. <laughs> I, I never know what any of the titles mean. I still don't know what I'm called. We were originally co-artistic directors, Emma and myself. I have a card here that says them, you're the producing director. Yeah, all changed. These names, the these titles. names, they really <laughs> shift around, yeah. <clears throat> Again, going back as my touchstone, this old model of 11 shows in 11 weeks and relative fluff, as the work and the reputations and the awareness of the companies have grown, certainly what wasn't at play in the, in the older days of summer theater was reviews, what the critics meant, and indeed you for the most part didn't think, unless a show was specifically something that had gone on the summer circuit to try out, whether that show was going to go on to have another life. How much are you affected by the press in what you do, and how much are you looking for those shows to be seen beyond your theaters? Certainly Westport had this extraordinary success, um, leveraged in no small part by <coughs> Paul Newman appearing on stage for the first time in decades in our town, which came to Broadway and was a smash. Well, we, uh, and it's interesting because the show before that was the 60s, and that was uh, Blythe Banner and Cure Delay and Butterflies Are Free, which actually went into the same theater in the booth. It was so interesting because Cure's wife was in the dressing room right <laughs> above or below his, you know, 30 years later, whatever. But Westport, um, we should say, <coughs> was, when you mentioned the Langers and the Theater Guild, Westport was originally built specifically, in many cases, to be a tryout theater. It Absolutely. was built to this precise specifications of one of the Broadway stages. I don't recall The Times Square. Oh, the Times Square, which is, which is long gone. Um, but <coughs> the idea was it was a place they could put a show up and move it directly into New York, no change in scenery, no problem. Well, it's fascinating to hear Kate talk about the history of, of her theater because, in fact, you're right, the, the Langners were members of the Theater Guild and there was no air conditioning in New York at that time. And so, and they had a home in the area in Western Connecticut. And so they said, well, we need to have a place to go in the summer where it's cool, where our friends are, where there were a lot of artists in that, in that community. And that's when he bought the barn and converted it into a theater in 1931. And when you go back and read his biography, you realize that he very specifically wanted to do work outside of the glare of the theater critics. He wanted to develop work in Westport, try out different plays, and he did very challenging work in those days. A lot of the repertoire that, that Joanne has been reviving are things that were done in those early years, Constant Wife among them. And um, not that that's so challenging, but nevertheless, <laughs> it's, not, it's not often done. Um, but uh, he, he specifically wanted it to be that, and he built it, the stage was to, just as you mentioned, Howard, was so that you could move plays directly from Westward onto the stage of the Times Square. And what really happened was, it was that interim period, I would say it was sort of the 50s and stuff, that they developed that whole concept of the summer stock. And, and Jim McKenzie, who was our um, executive director for 41 years and was a remarkable man who kept the place going, um, he really was instrumental in building a lot of that straw hat circuit and working with other theater owners to move these plays between the theaters so that each theater, say, and if they did a season of 11 or 12 plays, they only had to mount a couple of them because the other theaters were also mounting them. And um, each theater had their own resident set designer, so each theater built their own set. The costumes traveled with the actors, and of course they were rehearsed once. And it was a, a dreadful schedule. I mean, it really was Monday to Sunday. Monday night the company arrived, had a few hours on stage, performed 
cold for an audience. Monday night, work through to Saturday night, every, all the costumes get packed up, the actors get back on a bus or however they were traveling, and they're on the road on Sunday, and they're at their new theater on Monday. It was, it was an amazing schedule, I, exhausting. But as shows go out now, Sybil, for example, you have uh, a production of The Boyfriend, which began at, um, at, Bay, Street, at yeah. Bay Street, which now has been taken up by Goodspeed yes. and subsequently is going out <clears throat> on a national tour. Was that even in your head when that began? Was that something you were looking to do? Was that something you actively <clears throat> sought? We thought it might happen because of the attachment of Julie Andrews. Who was so, directing the production. Yes, and was our first directorial uh, thing too. Um, no, it was, I mean, we thought it might happen, but it wasn't the be-all and end-all, no. The thing talking about critics, um, when we started, we had a great uh, belief in, uh, in our mission statement. It said, free from commercial pressure. So we really believed we wanted to protect the artist. And, you know. and um, <clears throat> so we would actually ask, the, like for instance, the New York Times, that it would only be the Long Island edition that would come. Things like that. And we would ask Variety not to come. And has that so, lasted? Uh, well, it was interesting because t the Janis Joplin thing, the Long Island edition of the Times hated it with such a passion. There was, there was a, there was a, there was a, it was all set. There was a producer to go straight into New York and it, because of that one review, it all fell to bits and it took him two years, that producer, to get Jap Joplin to New York. So it really has huge, uh, it does have a huge uh, effect, yeah. Kate, I saw um, you wanted to jump in. Well, it's, the press can come. I mean, we've had shows <coughs> that we thought were going to move, and then it does exactly that, exactly. the bad reviews. That'll stop. And Variety that. comes <laughs> to see us, so a bad review the next exactly. day, the calls are, well, it's <coughs> moving, Kate. I know. You know I on know. the other hand, if you can sort of protect it, I know. then we can get it off. But This is uh, particularly yeah. true for us with new work, um, that the critics can be, can be devastating when we have new work that they, mm -hmm. they don't care for, because... There's no reference point. There's no way to explain to somebody what a wonderful play it is and, and, and how exciting it was and how thrilled the audience was because they don't know the material. So it's Well, it's and really it's only hard. a few critics that can stop the show from going to New York. And our local critics, um, they certainly have some weight in the community. It's mostly word of mouth yeah, in the community, a, but variety in <clears> the <throat> times. <clears throat> Do you let them... No. They, yeah. <laughs> there you go. We have such short runs, too. Frankly, no, a lot of our press locally is. Um, oh, sorry. No. I was going to say, a lot of our, we have short runs, and a lot of our press are weekly press. So by the time their reviews appear, it's, the show is closing. Yeah. It's sort of insignificant. Have you found it been increasing at all? The one thing I've noticed is I think um, because, and whether this is, this is something that has happened in Ontario, although I, I believe from talking to counterparts in the States that um, because of when I, when I first started, my first season I incurred, there was this famous SARS, which was of course this outbreak that happened that affected, like just killed all, all tourism essentially for an entire summer. And then that same year the war was declared uh, here. Uh, it, and uh, 
on Iraq, and um, the uh, we had all sorts of various. There was about five. I mean, pr uh, there was just locusts were the only thing that didn't really appear that year. It seemed to me, and I, I kind of thought, what did I do? Like, what the heck is going on? And it was very interesting because it really did that. There was an enormous plunge we felt at the Stratford <coughs> Fest, as I say, Toronto, the Mervish's big producers there. Everybody was feeling it. Um, and in fact, um, the, it has not bounced back. I mean, it is slowly working its way back to, you know, there's, and I, I don't think, however, it is ever actually going to be quite the same. I don't actually think, and maybe it's post 9-11 as well, I don't, that people, I find, are not going to the theater in the same way that they used to. I don't think they're booking ahead. A lot of people are not booking ahead in the way that they used to. They will wait till much closer to the time and then go. Um, they're not planning in the same way, which of course when you budget in a, in a very ahead of the time way with that idea, it makes things difficult. Um, and I begin to find now that because our audiences do seem to be shifting that way, even though they are coming back, is that I think we are now somewhat more reliant on critics, um, or not reliant, at the mercy of, is probably more accurate, yes. uh, of critics than we used to be, simply because there is a much more of a wait-and-see mm -hmm. feeling around than there used to be. Now, we still can kind of get over a bad review, um, and we have many times, especially because we have such a wide variety of reviewers, um, but certainly we, we have a couple of bastions of critical thought in Toronto who, who can be particularly, um, really make a difference to that part of our audience. Though, as you say, it's a part of your audience because if 40-some-odd percent of your audience is coming from the U.S., what's said in the <coughs> Buffalo paper or the exactly. Rochester paper, <coughs> or those can, can also be important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to transition, again, back to the, the concept of what summer theater used to be. One of the traditions in summer theater was also that it was a place where very young people had the opportunity to go and learn and try, whether on college breaks or immediately after college. Um, is that part of what you all do? What are, what are the opportunities oh, absolutely. there? Absolutely. In fact, we take credit we're inventing the apprentice system. It's probably not <laughs> oh, yeah. fair, but we do. <laughs> Martin Manulis is credited by us <laughs> for founding this, this marvelous intern and apprentice program in the 40s, which survives today. It's gone through different iterations, and we now have, we, we, we love it. It's, it's, it's two, it's two uh, tiers. We have interns who are uh, young pre-professionals. They're people in college or just out of college who already know that they have a commitment to theater and they have particular areas of expertise and they work in every production, administration, marketing, whatever they come for this summer. And then we have another group of apprentices who are the local high school kids um, who come at, by day. They don't, they're not resident at the theater. And they work in all kinds of different areas of the theater and they also get some classes and they work, do scene <coughs> studies. So it's a partly more of a focused academic education program as well as hands-on work in the theater. But that's how I got my start. I mean, I was, I was a, an apprentice <coughs> and, and intern, and I absolutely believe in the se that, that that whole methodology for introducing young people to the theater, immersing them in it, showing them everything, every aspect of the theater, and they will either fall in love with it and follow it for the rest of their life, or they'll move on and do something more sane. But um, we, it, we, rely, we also rely on it. Our, our, uh, our intern 
a core in the summer are really our entry-level staff, and we couldn't function without them. Do you pay them? Yes, we do. We pay them a stipend and we yeah. provide them housing. So it's not generous. And what about it, the apprentices? Do they the apprentices pay? don't. They, they, don't they, 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 um, no, do they pay you? No, no, they don't pay us oh. either. Um, and they do get us some educational components, mm -hmm. so that, but no, they, they, it's a program that's funded separately. We have similar. We have acting apprentices, a group of acting apprentices. They pay us to yes, come and study yeah. with us and to come and... So they perform in our children's theater program in the summertime. But they're paying you to be there. They're paying yes. us to be there. And they're in classes from 8.30 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. So they're in classes. And then, in the, then they have their performance. And then in the evenings, <coughs> they're working in the concessions or par helping to park the car. They're getting a full theater experience. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you mention something like that, I, I, I have to toss in the apprentice <laughs> program or intern program at Westport. When I worked there, one of the uh, least favored tasks was uh, each week one of the interns had to put on the Rocky the Rooster suit. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> Still. entertain at the Children's Theater absolutely. performances. I hope the suit's been redone. Perhaps not. We had, in fact, bit. in this time, our, our education director, who's a marvelous woman and a real trooper, we were marching in the Memorial Day Parade, and she donned the Rocky the Rooster outfit because um, there were no apprentices or interns yet. It was too early in the season and practically expired from the heat. Um, but nevertheless, where Rocky the Rooster is still there. The other thing is parking, of course, is a big apprentice job. And I will tell you, I'm so bad at it. I've been banned from parking. <laughs> so I try to pitch in and help a little bit. Forget it. But um, yeah, they do everything. And, but they also are... They also have r very real jobs, too, in terms of um, working in, in administration and in the shops. And um, we have them working in rehearsal. We have stage management interns, and we also have artistic interns who work directly with the directors, often doing dramaturgy and, and, and very fulfilling work. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, um, the apprentice program that as it started for us was... Uh, was something that we were sort of contractually doing in the sense that we were we, we really wanted to be doing our own work and Vassar wanted an educational component so we just you know we were we would run an educational component and uh, so and it turns out to be for us and for the company and for the people who for the professionals who come up there I think one of the most rewarding things that they do up there uh, is working with with young people who 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 are Ha who are in touch with the with the early reasons why we all came, went into right. the yeah. theater to begin with, for us. and it, it's it, true. It, I, so it's really a back and forth thing. I think I, we also have now instituted an intern level as well, and the and but uh, and but the apprentice and to the extent that the apprentices have contact with the professional company, um, that's that's a. A great yeah. thing on both sides. There's 80, um, aside from the acting apprentices, is about 80 interns that are college-age students with us. Oh. And they all live in, on our Levan campus, as we call it. The energy in that building is just, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's a whole different experience. Yeah. Yeah. But they do, they really sort of provide us with a memory of what we started off. Of course. At. It's so hard when they leave at the end of August. I know. It, you know, they give, they are, they, they yeah, it's fun. We've been able to institute something which I've been very happy about. We too have apprentices on all sorts of different levels, but one that we decided to kind of up the ante a little bit was um, we have two, each year we have two directing internships. And um, we decided to really 
try to build it and uh, we now it's 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 a very intense uh the, the it's we had like 75 people apply for it last year we you know we can only take two so it's becoming very well known now in Canada amongst a kind of um, directors I, I like to think directors maybe some young directors who've been maybe doing some independent stuff who've been you know they're around they're not just straight out of theater school necessarily um, but the idea is they come and they spend the uh, four months with us and they get to assist on at least two shows each at first um, which and we always try to make Make sure that there's one Shaw and, um, and maybe one other type, different theaters, different directors. Um, and then at the end of their tenure, the last month, they get to direct a one-act play from the mandate. It has to be from that time with any actors in the company that they can oh. cajole into doing it for them. And the actors are <laughs> fabulous. <clears throat> and it's wonderful because um, from there, it, it, it really, you do see the step of, of, especially for us, I find with, you know, finding, trying to bring directors in, you know, a lot of the work we do is, it, it, it's very text-based, it's, it's complex, dense texts, and young directors don't often get the opportunity to really get in there in a very hands-on way, first of all, to watch directors making their way through that text with really, really fine actors, and then actually to get the opportunity to do it themselves. And in fact, often, although we don't, I try not to set it up as like an audition process at all, but often, certainly even after a couple of years, director, young directors who have been through that, in yeah. fact, then come in and, and have directed and do direct for us so we, on we an ongoing yeah. way. We tend to do that too, we, uh, in the, more in the sense of, since we have different levels of production, we'll bring in people to direct a reading or direct, you know, so right. and, then, yeah. and then the next year they'll direct a workshop yeah. and then they'll direct a main stage. Mm -hmm. or it's, it's, <coughs> a, yeah. it's, it's nice to sort of trace that, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and see it, them all of a sudden they're on the main stage, it's like, mm -hmm. oh. And we used to think that we that we could o we could only do a play once, and our audience will will actually come and see a reading of a play or see a workshop of a play, and then we can, and then you know the play we we want to do a main stage of that play, and they'll come again, yes. and they'll see the development of the play and the development of the production and stuff. And so you start sometimes with a reading, move to workshop, and then move to production? Well, not within the same summer. Right. But, yeah, but, but we've, over a we've period. Over, yeah, over a year or so, yeah, we have done that. And that it's, it, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> well, I guess they have then a, a really vested interest yeah. in mm -hmm. it. I mean, in really seeing how I mean, that piece develops. Right. People, for instance, had seen Sideman twice at our theater. We did a reading of Sideman. We did a... Uh, uh, a main stage production of Sideman, and then it moved to CSC, and then it moved to Broadway. And it, I mean, so they had that com community had this sort of uh, mm -hmm. had a, a, a vested interest in that play, as would Doubt. Now we did, you know, reading uh, reading slash workshop of Doubt last summer mm -hmm. for John, and um, so it's gratifying when that happens. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, then there are lots of plays that that uh, are wonderful plays that don't have a life beyond that. And it's, that's, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so well, we didn't hear about uh, young people's opportunities at, at your theater. Yes, but because we're in the Hamptons in the summer, we have to house the interns. So we, we have, I think it's about 14. But I mean, it's slave labor, let's face it. That's what they do. <laughs> And we couldn't have the season without them, you know. I mean, they're so important, you know. 
And um, we, oddly enough, we thought we would do well with the apprentice program, but we, uh, we thought being where we were that people would love to send their children off, and we didn't actually. Depending on the so housing, no I might intern for you. So we have no apprentice program. Mm -hmm. We just have the, uh, we have the interns here. I'd love to know, um, when you read plays, all of us, do you, I mean, is one of your first questions, how many are in the cast? My first question. Yes. <laughs> but then I'm, no, I'm not doing the reading. You're I'm management. Doing the, I'm, doing, I'm doing the budgeting. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it is a factor you, in the selection. Do you, Matt? Um, well. Or does your heart sink if you see 25 as well? Yes. Yes. Right. That, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we've, you know, it becomes, it's, it's less an individual play than the overall season. Uh, eventually, it becomes an issue if there are too many of them. Oh, yeah. You know, do, you, do you well, select we based them, on... You see, yeah. it's, it's, uh, our biggest expense of Bay Street is housing. Um, and it's, it's, it is important to see how many are in the cast. And now, I don't know if you... Whenever, so often when I read a play now, there is no cast of characters because they don't want us to it's know. It's true. Is that why? There is no, yeah, yeah. You have to read the whole play. Can't just start making a list? <laughs> no, I have to write a little memo, yeah. And I think that's what it is. That I think so I really dislike theaters. that, too. Well, I do, I really too. <laughs> I, I'm I sitting there writing down the characters <clears throat> and being taken out of the play. But it's also harder to read the play. Yeah, don't have and that. they're not there anymore. Especially new plays. I don't know if this. Well, try it with George Bernard Shaw. <laughs> he writes five pages description of a character before you even work out what the name of the person I know, is. So I, know, I know. I yeah. know. But sometimes you pick up that play. I mean, I've held on to plays for a few years that it's a fifteen character, and I think, oh, I'm. Gonna, I know. Yeah, I'm yes, going so to get this to, yeah, done yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Manage it in there somehow. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Right. Or then I finally realize, oh, nobody else likes this play. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can be, I'm or you can do doubling. We, we yes, how many ways can I double or triple? Doubling, you know? right. When you think of a play, I, what I've been finding more and more in, is um, I really find that the marriage between the director and the play is very, very important. Um, and certainly, I, I think for us, especially, certainly some of the pieces we do actually are very big. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting, I've been really trying to hold to the idea of if I have a play that I want to do and I, and I can't get that director at a certain, at that, for that period of time, then I actually don't do the play and I'll wait. Um, because I am finding more and more that, that that marriage is so important and that if I just kind of go, oh, what the hell, I'll just, you know. It's critical. It's, yeah. It really, it, it's not, it never seems to work quite well. If I, if I can actually get that mm. right or get, or find someone, I've had people come, to, directors come to me and I've encouraged directors that I know and, and, and value to, to come to me and say, you know, if you have a play that you think would be suitable for us and you really want to do it, then let me know. Because again, that always seems to me a good place mm -hmm. to have started where obviously a director already has a connection with the piece and, and an idea, perhaps, of how she or he wants to, to do it. But um, I am, I'm finding that more and more now. Um, and especially, as I say, because we're sort of the opposite. We often, I'm actually looking for large plays. I know it's, I feel right. awful. I feel like I'm going to be stoned <laughs> by other artists when I say that, that, you know. Yeah. But That's I'll lovely. say, well, I, you know, I really need to, I mean, of course, we do smaller pieces too. But, you know, it's not a problem to do a, a, a 15 to 25 character play um, my problem often is in fact because I'm 
I'm trying to, I have actors to think about as well, so them, yeah. I'm actually trying to, to balance it. And I found especially when I came into the company that, um, for especially for the women in the company, especially women of you know, a certain age, say between about 35 to 50, especially in a classical company, it starts to get really difficult. And what I was finding was that um, often, especially if it's Shaw, if it's more Anglo, that women of that age tend to, all the parts are a variation on a matron of some sort. Mm -hmm. And so it really, I really started trying to look around and find plays and, and really dig so that, that the actresses especially really were being able to really get stretched. And in fact, actually, I've started doing a lot more American uh, classical plays um, as well, which we weren't doing a lot of, or Irish, or just trying to get a different yes, temperature mm -hmm. from the, those more Anglo mm -hmm. plays, which certainly can be very passionate, but tend to be somewhat cooler. <laughs> so, um, so the actors are all much happier <coughs> in my company than they used to be. Actually, but it is interesting. It's actually balance. sort of sad about new plays and from that standpoint, because I think writers know that if, as when they go over seven actors, oh, I think the it's chances of production. Sad, yeah. No, I've been commissioning some new plays and this writers, it was, I was like, felt like Santa Claus because I commissioned this playwright, a Canadian playwright, to, I wanted him to do an adaptation of H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man. Mm -hmm. um, a small challenge given that the central character yeah. is invisible. <laughs> <laughs> but it and, saves uh, money on but casting. But hey, you yeah. know, oh, come on. Less. And he <laughs> said, well, what size? And I said, I think you can probably go up to about sort of 15, 16, maybe to up to 18 people. And he literally almost fell oh, off his yeah. seat. <laughs> and well, went, it's unheard oh, of. Okay. And I said, so, you know, go for lovely. it and see. You know, and that's lovely to be lovely. able to do that. We can't do it all the time, but it is, <clears throat> it is nice to, to be able to allow a writer to, you know, do that. Because it's terrible, I think. It's when a different kind of story. Yes. Telling different kinds of stories. It is a different story. Like exactly. As we head into the home stretch here, we began with certainly people's perceptions of what summer theater can be. And at least for the four American companies, I know that the rehearsal period is shorter than we might find at a regional theater or in a commercial production. Do you think, or in, in the case of, of the Shaw Festival, where it is such a destination and it is going to the theater, it's not just about the play, but the whole experience of being in that beautiful community and shopping at the shops and staying over for a couple of days. Do you think people's simple expectations of quality, of what they're going to see on the stage, is different? Do they, do they look at you differently than what they might go to in their hometown, on Broadway, at their regional theater? Or are you held to the same standards, even though your process may be very different than what they see at other times of year? Well, I, I think we consciously tried <clears throat> to change that. I think there, it was true that in the past when you had a resident set designer who was quick getting a set up in a week for the incoming play and all that, that it was a different standard of production quality. Um, and again, it was a, an ensemble brought together to support the headliner in the company and it wasn't you know it was it was very different when when Joanne Woodward came in as our artistic director five years ago I think she really wanted to change that whole culture and we did increase the rehearsal time somewhat it's still 
brief by some standards is three and a half weeks before first preview, so it's not long, but it's it's better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and the board, uh, she persuaded the board to invest a lot of money in improving the production quality too, and bringing in guest designers, and um, the, the money that we spend in the shops to improve the quality of the work. So we like to think that the work we're doing now is certainly equivalent to all of our colleagues in the area. And in fact, your rehearsal period then is longer <clears throat> than the runs of your shows? Yes. We rehearse for three and a half weeks and we run for two and a half. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's always been true for us as well. But the, and the other thing is that f- for us, we, since we, we do sort of all levels, um, plays are in process. So the audiences are sort of used to um, actors having uh, two weeks of rehearsal or three weeks of rehearsal and being <coughs> script in hand for some workshops. And I, I think that what they're, what I think what I think theater audiences just go to the theater for an experience, for some kind of transcendent of transcendent <coughs> experience of this is of being told this story in a way that I believe I'm here, I'm in that in this story. And I think that they can accept a lot of different ways of doing that in the theater and have, you know, for, in our theater. And I, I, that's been just remarkable to me because it's, it's essentially an act of imagination, whether we do a full production with a full set and have, you know, Tom Lynch or whoever the, you know, or Don Holder, the best um, <coughs> designers do it, or you do it on a bare stage with a couple of chairs and, and you know, and, and you put the lights on and off. Audience is have an exp- can have an experience if the actors give them the experience and if the writing holds up and if the director is telling the story. And it, it's, that's, that's what's really exciting to me about working on any of, you know, in any of our theaters or, mm-hmm. and in new plays in particular. It's true. I mean, as soon as, I, I think that I, I've always been mostly attracted to directors that are about sort of the physical being of the actor as opposed to the physical being of what's going on behind them in the set. Um, but it's the spirit with which you carry yourself, I think, into the production. Um, and like you, you know, we have Jess Goldstein and Kevin Adams coming to design Equus, and they're not coming into this with any less eagerness or creative intention, I think, than they would into a <coughs> Broadway theater. Um, and in fact, um, I think most of what probably we all do in terms of leading our organizations, I think one of the hardest things that we do is to generate that sort of spiritual tone for you know, what we want on our stage, which has nothing to do with how good the lighting system is. It just mm-hmm. doesn't have anything to do with that at a certain point, I think. I think that's a very good point. And in fact, I, I find that we have to, what I st- have to be very careful with is that because, in fact, at the Shaw, it's, it's quite well known and respected for its, its really high, high production values. And we do. We have, I mean, extraordinary artisans. I mean, we have, you know, tailors who make suits still in a way that's almost a dying art. We have a milliner. We have, a, you know, we have wow. extraordinary artisans who make the most beautiful, beautiful <coughs> costumes. We have brilliant, set, you know, scenic painters, etc., etc. So what I, I live find... live in a different country. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> believe me. You know, believe me. It's, 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 we're clinging, you know. We're clinging. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing is that we have to be careful is because, of course, you can look at that, and that can, by definition, become museum theater, as I call it, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, we, it's very important, while that 
extraordinary workmanship, and it, and it is done with great passion itself, but I feel very, it, it's my job at the moment to come along and try to subvert some of that or to encourage designers to, I mean, uh, really uh, look at how they're doing it, keep, keep a kind of edge on what it is they're doing and not necessarily feel that the work they have to do has to engender applause when the curtain goes up or the yes. lights go on. Because it's not, and, and it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a thin line because you want to be able to present something. And I, you know, I always think it's not, museum theatre is only if, you know, the heart is still beating under the corset, even if they're wearing a corset and an extraordinary gown. But it's very important that that heart is beating in the appropriate way. Um, so I think one has to be careful and not get tied to beauty, um, whereas to enjoy it and celebrate it is one thing. But I certainly think that what we have to do is be careful that we really are putting our resources, yeah. in a sense, in the right, with the right spirit and in the right way, and also at times really subverting them and not letting people do everything on sofas. I think <laughs> one of the things that happens to us, because our resources are so, so limited in terms of the fees that we're able to pay or the the, the, the time we have to build or our budgets for sets and costumes and we can't begin to compete with television and the, the other markets that are right around us. Um, people come with that spirit that, that you've right. been, you, you and Kate have both been talking about because they want to be there to serve the play, to serve the production, they're taken, they're, they're because of the director, whatever draws them, it can't be the budgets because we don't have them. So, I mean, they're making a, a personal sacrifice, financial sacrifice sometimes to come work for us because they care so deeply about what they're working on. And that, I think, is what shines through. And that's well, they what they did go important. into the theater to begin with, after all, which was that's insane. That's true. As a, as exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We rehearse uh, for three weeks and performed for three weeks, but our, our, original, our first production, Tony Walton designed it because he was Emma's father. And so we set this. Emma Walton, Emma who Walton, is your co-producing director. Yeah. So we set that standard. But, um, and he was great, Tony, because I don't think he'd actually been on his knees painting for <laughs> years. So there he was, and he was enjoying it. And, but it's been, our, we, we, we have three week runs, but our August play we run for four weeks. Well, we can handle four weeks. I have to say, I love hearing a producer who is still willing to say they enjoy getting a major artist down in their yes. knees. <laughs> <laughs> Only if he's a relation. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, I get to be the spoil sport today to say that we are, we've reached the end of our program. Before we conclude, I want to say that the American Theatre Wing seminars are presented in cooperation with the Department of Continuing Education and Public Programs here at the City University of New York. And of course, for those of you watching on television, they have been done for decades now in partnership with our friends at CUNY Television. Uh, for all of us at the American Theatre Wing, I hope you'll join me in thanking our panelists and saying, as we always do, go out and see theater, but go out and see summer theater because it's the same process as the rest of the year, same challenges, and the same rewards. Thank you all for being here. Thank you.